0: Hi, I'm Marika, and welcome to Money Out. On this podcast, I want to dive into the world of the often unspoken topic of money. Effective personal finance management can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. After a 10-year career on trading flows in London, I want to help demystify the intimidating world of finance and have an open, honest, and frank conversation. By opening the discussion, I wish you identify yourself, learn, be inspired, and get empowered. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversation on money, mindset, investment habits, and any best practices they abide by. So join me in this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. Today, I'm inviting Benjamin, a fan of Money Chill Out, who listens
1: to and comments on each episode. He's lived in London for nearly 15 years, used to be a trader, but has changed paths to spend more time with his two young girls. Having seniority and being flexible in his job, he feels empowered to set his own rules, to pick his girls mid-afternoon and work again later. He
0: actually approached me with this topic idea, about earning less than your partner, Are brilliant. It's another subject that I'm passionate about, as it mixes success,
1: personal and couple goals, and society matters. So let's learn more about his situation, how it impacts their lives as a family, and break cliches on something that happens much more than we think. So hi Benjamin, how are you?
2: Very good, actually, very good. I'm back to France, so yeah, pretty cool. But I'm the one who's happy actually to be here. Huge fan, as you said, there should be more podcasts like you out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, know, very happy to be on this podcast. As I said, like you've actually wanted to come and really, really pleased on the subject. So let's start. So yeah, before digging into today's subject, I always like to know a bit more like your relationship with money and how open and at ease you are. So do you often speak about it with family and friends, for example?
2: It's complicated. So I'm actually extremely at ease to talk about money. I'm a strong believer that it's actually a subject that shouldn't be taboo at all. But it's complicated because in my family especially with my mom as soon as you talk about money it always ends badly like really badly it's either you cannot understand or you don't understand because you have money so it's always a bit touchy subject so i try to avoid it with my mom and family but otherwise now with uh, the in-laws and uh, with my friends um, i'm extremely at ease and talk a lot about money actually <laughs>
1: And so you have two girls, seven and five, actually. So do you plan to do something on their education? Like, yeah, raising them with a notion of money and so on and so forth? Because it's not really like told in school, but it's so important. So so what's your plan on that?
2: I would ask you to define education. But I I mean, it's uh, I think it's a lifelong journey, you know, uh, money. So at the beginning, you obviously don't talk about the same thing. I do not really want them. We do not really want them, my wife and I to worry about money. So at the moment, uh, we don't really discuss that. They are actually learning at school that doing subtractions and with money. So if they have two pound and they have to buy, uh, I don't know, two oranges, how much uh, they have left. So they are already learning about that. But um, yeah, I mean, we are trying to teach them that if things cost money, so if they break, for example, uh, the iPad, they will have to wait and we won't replace it uh, right away, albeit we can.
1: So it's more maybe about values than actually like proper numbers and behaviors.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah, That's exactly what I think. Values.
1: So like one in four couples, 25% of couples, you're actually earning less than your partner. So is it something that a lot of people around you know?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think all our friends, at least our close friends, know about that. I'm a pretty talkative guy, so I don't really mind. And I'm actually proud of that. So yeah, all of them actually are aware. If they ask, I will tell them.
1: (laughs) Okay. And how much is the difference? Like how much more?
2: About 15% more.
1: Okay, so still substantial.
2: Yeah, it's about 10, 10K. Yeah, it's still uh, still a lot. So, um, I mean, it has not always been the case. So at Crédit Actually, was, my salary was going quite rapidly. As you know, I mean, we're in investment bank and especially on the trading floor, the money does come quite rapidly and, and quite steeply. But uh, I started on a three-month contract at Krediag and it was actually on a £12,000 contract, something like that. So in less than 10 years every year, it increased by 20%. So overall, so I think I did okay, but it's just... It was steep and then it flattened quite a lot. So compared to Marion, which for, I mean, not obvious reason, but for some good reason, and I mean, good karma, managed to get up uh, the ladder.
1: So how long has it been the case?
2: Uh, It's been about three years. So she, her boss actually at the time got pregnant uh, with a number three and she was going to take a year off. So Marion would would have been number one in, in her department. And so that's when she actually started to gain more than me. And then I decided to move to Moody's and um, it's not the same salary as in investment banks. So actually I I flattened. But um, yeah, it's been three years now.
1: Okay. so how do you personally feel about it? Like not being the main breadwinner?
2: I feel great, I mean, <laughs> no, it, it's great. I think it's uh, it's taking a weight off your shoulder when you're not the only one earning money. So I suppose it, it, that's a definite plus. And actually, I think it's also uh, teamwork. I mean, she's earning money because she got this opportunity but she was able to take it because I was there to take care of the girls when she was actually working hard. So yeah, it, it's teamwork. And when your team wins, you're, you're happy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Totally makes sense. And do you think like most men are ready for it? Like having this kind of difficulty when like the women are small?
2: I don't know. I mean, I would like to think they are, but uh, unfortunately, no, I think um, even people our age, I mean, I'm a bit older than you, (laughs) but yeah, I think people our age are not yet ready to lose on that point.
1: Okay. But did you have like, I don't know, unsolicited comments or jokes? either, but you earning less or your wife, Marion, earning more?
2: I do get jokes. It's not necessarily funny, but um, I'd much rather be in my situation than theirs, I would say. So um, I love at them not um, from the joke. And again, the more we both win, the better. So I don't see why this is uh, funny, but uh, yes, I do get jokes.
1: And how do you react then?
2: I don't really care. I mean, at the end of the day what I care is that we both are happy and uh, we have a good life. So good balance. So if if they don't think it's uh, healthy, I don't see why I should just fight with them. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't care.
1: Yeah, just leave them. <laughs> cool. So let's talk about like the home organization now. So the one earning less should do a bit more childcare, houseworks, or any like errands related. There's some statistics that prove that when the wife is actually the primary breadwinner, there's like still 41% who still take a lead role in a housework. Whereas when it's the men, it's only 14%. So how is it for you?
2: I'd like to think that we are on a 50-50 on a par basis but um, I I mean to be realistic she still does um, 60 and I would 40.
1: Yeah. And and what do you think like either for you or like for the society in general what would be one thing that could actually improve that balance?
2: The main point is that when the other half is underwater and need help ask for help you need to be there and for me if you have a balance at 60 40 it's still okay
1: so a few years ago you actually changed job as you said like going from a french bank to moody's and you did that to spend more time with your family so can you tell us a bit more about like the reasoning you had
2: yeah so it was end of 2018 mine was going to be number one and then the that her boss was going to be on maternity for a year. So that would be a challenge and she would have to take over and and be alone for a year. And there used to be a team of two and now she would be alone. So more work, more things, more meetings and so on. And at the same time, I also got a friend whose son was actually diagnosed with a rare form of cancer, so it was pretty hard for him and obviously for the whole family and friends, I guess, uh, for us too, because we you realize that, uh, you know, <laughs> life is not easy. And I lost my dad at a relatively young age, I was like 20, 24, 25 when it happened, so I think the last two points made me really realize that there are more things than just earning money and working in investment banking and uh, so when Moody's just like called me and wanted to get me i really considered the pros of uh, being flexible and being the king of your uh, agenda and you can actually take the whole afternoon off and work in the evenings so I think that was much better as a routine and, and for Marion to actually take over the new job. So no more trading hours, more time with the daughters, uh, much better.
1: And when you actually moved, like, did you lose compensation-wise?
2: Yeah, so I had to give up a bit on the base. Bonuses in investment banks are discretionary, so you don't know what it's going to be. While at Moody's, it was actually written in your contract. So you, can, you could always do get more if you were actually overperforming. And for, I mean, I did overperform, so I actually got uh, much more than expected. But overall, the total comp was mostly the same, but base was much lower, so it was accepting to earn less for what I, yeah.
1: Yeah, but it's courageous, and as you said, like life is so much more than just work, and so yeah,
2: and money indeed. <laughs>
1: We live in London, even though you often go to France, (laughs) and the school, they like finish pretty early, like mid-afternoon or something. So how are you organized to actually pick your girls?
2: Um, So pre-COVID, we used to have a nanny to do the after school. Uh, But uh, since then, actually, Marion does the drop-off in the morning. And we're lucky because the school starts quite early at 8.10. And I do the pickups in the afternoon. Obviously, if one is stuck in a meeting or has something to do in the morning, then the other one can step in, which is pretty cool. And this this is, again, flexibility that um, is quite important compared to going to work. And obviously, as I said, I mean, if it's sunny and we want to stay in the park, we live next to Hyde Park. So if we want to stay in the park, we can uh, for a couple of hours. And then I will just work in the evening. So, So that's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: that's so cool, yeah. So let's speak about investments now. So how do you split your day-to-day budget? Because again, you're not necessarily like on 50-50 wedge-wise.
2: I do have like a spreadsheet where I keep track of what we spend, but we don't really do a day-to-day breakdown of the budget. So if we need to buy food, we buy food. And we generally have more or less the same food run every week that comes from Okado or we throw directly to our door. So that's quite easy. Pre-Covid, we used to I used to track like what I was spending at Pret or uh, what I was spending in the tube, but uh, since then it has changed, so that's not. Yeah, we don't really look at the day-to-day budget, but it's more on a monthly basis. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but, but like, does it mean that everything is shared? You you don't necessarily like check who spent, what.
2: No, I do check. <laughs> no, I do check. She can do whatever she wants, but I do check what's going on. So when I see like something that's not necessarily uh, usual, I will just ask her, oh, did you buy something? <laughs> but yeah, no, she, I'm cool with that. I mean, she can do whatever she wants, just uh, just to be aware of what's going on. And,
1: cool. and who manages the more like medium to long-term in- investment? So if you need to, I don't know, buy something like quite substantial.
2: I do. So medium to long term, it will be me um, from refinancing the, the debt on the apartment to our monthly statements and, and breakdown, as I said, and, and also to look at the pension, how they performed, our ISAs, the investments we have here and there. I mean, just to... I have a spreadsheet and I'm keen on looking at it and uh, making sure that everything is in order. Yeah.
1: So can you briefly tell us like where you've put your money?
2: So I do think everything is about... Um, income tax and tax in general. So we have ISAs, we have pensions, we have funds of funds, we have VCT, which are venture capital trusts. It's like a UK, again, um, investment vehicle where you actually have some uh, income tax relief. So if you put 10K in it, uh, you get 3K um, in tax relief uh, the next year. And we have also uh, premium bonds, which are UK government bonds. So they are highly rated. And I mean, if the UK defaults, I uh, would expect other uh, companies to default, so that there, there would be the last. And it's pretty secure. And obviously it's like a lottery ticket. So um, for each of the premium bonds you own, you can get up to 1 million. And so far the, the yield has actually been okay. So it's it's about 3%. I've advertised 1%, but uh, so far we got lucky. So 3%. And whiskey. <laughs>
1: So that's pretty good because the way you seem to manage is really like to try to lower your taxes like through ISA, through the venture capital trust and through the um, retirement fund. So yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I, otherwise you lose 30% on every uh, capital gain. So.
1: <laughs> I know, but it's always good to see like how people do. Yeah. Great. Cool. And you said as well, so you're doing like all the investment and so on and so forth, because your wife does not necessarily have an interest in investing. So why do you think is the case? And if ever she was to take ownership for whatever reason, do you think she would have the knowledge and confidence to do so?
2: Yeah, so actually, I talked about uh, the podcast to her and I said, actually, I have the same question. And she was like, no, 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 I I am interested. I do care, but it's just you do it. So why would we need to cook at the kitchen? She's keen and and she she understands numbers and she loves numbers. Obviously, she's in investor relations. So obviously, she knows... Well, it is but um so she has the knowledge i just think she doesn't have the specific knowledge like in terms of um again uh, income tax relief and tax efficiency and so on so, but that can be picked up quite rapidly and obviously the knowledge also depends of the jurisdiction so for now we're in the uk but if we were to move to france uh, she might know more than me but confidence yes she definitely has it and i'm pretty sure she, she would do okay
1: Okay, cool. It's always good. It's um, because, yeah, you never know what can happen. So you don't want to be stuck one day. So even though she's not the one managing it, because you're transparent in your management, I mean, she can still...
2: Oh, no, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, I am very transparent. So she knows everything I do every month. I talk with her about what's happened and so on. So she is aware. It's not like uh, she's going to discover if anything was to happen. Again, touching wood. But uh, yeah, we're transparent.
1: So I've left a um, few questions for the end and I'd like to open the discussion, let's say. So you're a connoisseur in spirits and particularly whiskey. So can you tell us about how did this passion start, for example? Because it's not... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but for me, it's really like more UK or even like Scottish, Scotland-based than proper like French tradition.
2: Yeah, well, it's not French for sure, but we do start to have some whiskeys popping here and there, and especially in Brittany. It started with a desire to build something for the girls. I mean, Marion, when she was 10, her dad bought like um, amazing um, cases of wine from very good Bordeaux vineyards and actually... 20 years later, she sold it and she made uh, like really good money. So that's, that's something that always interested me. And so the thing is that I know nothing about wine. So to the great despair of my father-in-law. And what I know though is that you need like perfect conditions. You need no vibrations, no shrinking temperatures, good humidity and stuff like that. So it's pretty like complicated. And I mean, in our flat in london we can't do that. (laughs) so since we are in the uk as you said easier to go to whiskey easier also to store and to flip actually uh, to investors if um, i wanted to sell them right away so how it started i just looked at some blogs and influencers on instagram obviously you make some mistakes along the way so i went a bit uh, overboard for the first bottle Uh, i bought like a japanese um, Karuizawa, 35 year old which was about a bit more than 10000
1: pounds
2: <laughs> It is expensive yeah it is actually a bit much so now I'm, more f- I'm focusing on like more 200 to 500 pound bottles, which if they don't perform, obviously I can drink. <laughs> so if you were to start, uh, you will start with limited editions. Bottles that never fail, such as Macallan uh, for some reason. Macallan is doing very well, but I'm more like uh, an Islay. Uh, so Scotch Islay whiskey.
1: Okay. So how? I mean, I don't know much about whiskey. So how long can you keep a bottle before drinking it?
2: As long as you want you just have to make sh- sure that uh, you have some paraffin for the um, for the top but um for the cork not to take too much humidity you have you actually have to stay up and not um flat like uh wines bottles but uh wine bottle but yeah i mean they're easy to store and you can keep them forever uh, not i won't say forever obviously <laughs> but uh, for a long time
1: Okay, and have you already like sold one or few bottles that you've bought? So yeah, yeah,
2: I sold two already. Yeah. two already because I mean, I bought like uh, Artberg Twenty Five, which was a limited edition uh, last year. For it was seven hundred and fifty, but um, quickly on the web they went for uh, two thousand, if not uh, five thousand, at one point. So yeah, I sold it uh, for three thousand. By the
1: way. Wow. Because you always say in, uh, in stock markets, and I'm sure it's the same for everything, that the hardest is not to buy, it's actually to sell. So how do you know it's like the good time or how do you keep track of the prices?
2: yeah yeah i know there are websites a definitely that tells you uh, the price for each whiskey obviously it also depends on the reviews of the whiskey so as soon as they go out you have some reviews popping up and uh, sometimes they are very good so it actually increases uh further than expected but also some editions are like brand new and it was the first 25 year old for, uh, for a while and, and the bottling was really nice and amazing so it, it, it for some reason it really went up quickly and it's just i mean three times more is, is enough for me so i just bought it when it was uh 2500 but I don't mind it's still better than uh, <laughs> when keeping it and drinking it so yeah
1: cool amazing and do you have like any bottle that you would recommend like any fabric pick for example like something affordable <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, well, I'm a huge fan of uh, Borgladi, as I said. So this is like an Islay whiskey. And they are, I think they've been bought by Pernorica recently. So they are now French. <laughs> but um, now they are very about terroir and, and making sure that uh, the islanders are actually uh, earning for uh, money for what they do. And I think the mentality and the sustainability um, aspect of the distillery is amazing. So I'm really going for it. So anything like Octomore or Port Charlotte are amazing. I love it.
1: Okay, cool. i never As I said, I don't know anything about this world, so <laughs> thanks, Jose <for the> Rico. <laughs> So I think we're arriving at the end of this episode. So thank you so much, Benjamin, for sharing your experience, especially your views on this modern, let's say, money matters. So yeah, you seem to be really at ease and proud of your wife's successes and view your couple as a team. I really like that mentality. And I'm sure a lot of people will recognize themselves on this. So thanks so much and um, take care.
2: You're welcome. Thanks a lot, (laughs) Maika.
0: Ciao. So, at the end of this episode, I hope you are as enthusiastic as I am. You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at marikafino.com. And if you want to go further in mastering this beautiful adventure of owning your finances, please contact me. I offer workshops and coaching to guide you through. Finally, if you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the word.